Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today I'm back on with another guest. I got actually got a couple of guests uh, coming in the future. I know that uh, Jay Warner Wallace will be on on May 17th um, to talk about the existence of Jesus and um, the person of Jesus, why Jesus is unique. Um, and so we're going to be talking about um, that topic. That's going to be super interesting. Um, super excited to have Jay Warner Wallace um, kind of give me his time. He's a pretty busy guy and he agreed to come on. And uh, I know my presuppositionalist friends are like, what are you doing, man? But come on, it's Jay Warner Wallace. You know, I think we could still have a great uh, conversation. Uh, even my guest today, as I'll, I'll introduce him in just a few moments, uh, we differ on uh, we differ on some key theological points, but uh, hey, we're good friends, and uh, I enjoy um, having conversations with him. It's a, definitely an iron sharpens iron sort of situation, and so hopefully, um, hopefully, you guys have someone like that in your life. Uh, doesn't agree with you and everything, but you can have that fruitful, you know, friendship. I think it's very useful. So, um, also, I am planning, I am planning an epic presuppositional roundtable. I have invited six people, six people, uh, some that you may know and others that you may not know, but are pretty solid in presuppositional apologetics. And I wanted to uh, invite um, a, a bunch of people to talk about different facets of presuppositionalism from their perspective, because uh, me as a teacher um, and as a student of Van Til and Bonson, I can sometimes present this material kind of technical, um, and that can be lost on some people different perspective, but coming from that same foundation. So uh, I'm looking forward to having that. I'll let you guys know uh, definitely uh, when that will be happening. Of course, I'll share the thumbnail and um, and things like that. Um, also, if you find the content here useful, man, you know, give the thumbs up, little heart emoji, man. Those things are super encouraging to me and share these videos. If you really value the conversations and discussions that take place on this channel, if you are super interested in presuppositional apologetics, I mean, this is, this is the channel for you. So uh, we try to keep it uh, to catering to that audience, but at the same time, we have a wide spectrum of topics that we cover here. So I definitely um, appreciate uh, your support. Also, um, folks have been asking me when I am giving my online course, Presup U. Uh, when am I giving it again? Um, when am I teaching it? And when are signups going to be uh, happening? Well, um, I have decided that Presup U will continue on June 7th. So classes are going to start on June 7th. Now you can sign up right now um, um, on revealedapologetics.com. If you go to the website, there is a little click down menu where you can click on Presup U and you can sign up for that course. Now, here's what you get with the course real quick. It's a five-week lecture uh, series. You have uh, the five lectures. You get the outlines to each of the lectures and all of the PowerPoints. Um, and so that you can either work on it at your own pace, or you could sign up for the premium course, and you'll meet with me and the other students who sign up um, for the course to go much deeper. And this is really uh, the best the best part of the course. I've been able to meet people from all over the place. I, you know, I do the classes around like 9 p.m. And, you know, I'm talking to someone in Norway or, uh, you know, England or something. It's really cool to kind of connect with people from all over the world. So um, signups are available now and classes will start on June 7th. So I'm really excited to do that. And it's a super helpful way. Guys, really, I mean, this is a super helpful way to support Revealed Apologetics um, because uh, folks who sign up for that class um, are are really allowing me to do what I'm doing more frequently. So um, I greatly appreciate if you guys can support in that way. 
Um, all right. Well, without further ado, um, I want to invite my special guest who has actually been on uh, this episode. And I've actually had uh, a philosopher on to critique my guest on the topic of uh, libertarian free will and things like that. So, um, but he's a really good friend and I really appreciate him. I would like to uh, introduce uh, on the screen with me, Dr. Braxton Hunter. How are you doing, man? Hey, Eli, so glad to be here as your, um, what, non-Calvinist correspondent, I guess. That's <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and, and and people should know, okay, look, right? I, I am a Calvinist. I'm a presuppositionalist. Braxton is a classicalist, and he's a, he's, he's a Molinist. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, I still think he's saved. He's just wrong. So, uh, but we're not going to be talking about that today. I'm just kidding. Um, but I am super happy uh, to have Dr. Braxton Hunter on. Let me just kind of give you some background. Braxton Hunter, and he can correct me if this information is out, of, is out of date, but Braxton Hunter is the former president of the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists, or awkwardly, Cosby. <laughs> is, is it's the worst it? acronym ever. <laughs> it's the worst acronym ever. Um, as a professor of philosophy and apologetics at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Newburgh, Indiana, and Dr. Hunter is passionate about the defense of the Christian faith in a skeptical world. Uh, Dr. Hunter also holds a BA in expository preaching, an MA in theo theology, and a PhD in Christian apologetics. So uh, basically, he is a black belt in apologetics. Okay. Um, you know, well, I mean, I'll give you black belt. You're not a presuppositionalist, but you get the belt. Okay. You took the classes, right? <laughs> okay. Um, he's also an author of multiple books, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, he is the author of Blinding Lights, The Glaring Evidences of the Christian Faith, Death is a Doorway, Truth Bombs, Brief Thoughts on Big Issues, and my personal favorite um, that I found useful, uh, even as a presuppositionalist, is his book, Core Facts. Um, so um, you guys want to check that out. You can purchase those at Amazon. Um, is there any other way people could order those books if they wanted, Braxton? Yeah, you could uh, do that just on Amazon by searching my name, but you can also get it at braxtonhunter.com on the resources tab. So, um, and uh, uh, occasionally I'll give away an ebook or something like that. Um, I, I don't make a lot of money off this stuff. I just want right, to right. get the stuff out there. Yeah, yeah he, he likes to give away things. He's given me, uh, you've given me some material. You've actually. Given I think I gave you my book, Evangelistic Apologetics. That's right. Yeah, you're 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 also a black belt at giving stuff away. Is that a black belt? Is that something? It, if it is, belt? I'm proud to have that black belt. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I don't know what background you have in music. Uh, I am not a musician. I was raised around music, and I I'm a singer. I used to be a, a lead singer in a band, and I did. Uh, I used to be in a Spanish band as well. Um, and a band with a, a group. So I've been a lead singer and a, a singer with uh, two or three other guys as well. So I, I do have some background in um, in singing. I cannot play an instrument for my life. Do, do you have any background in music, uh, Braxton? As a matter of fact, uh, when I was a teenager, I took guitar lessons for three years, and that was probably as much to uh, write songs to praise the Lord as it was to impress girls at the time. Uh, this is the think carnal thinking of a young man. But in any case, um, uh, I've played guitar off and on ever since, and yep. I did have a band that was called Today's Special, named after what was a children's program that I loved when I was a kid. 
Um, but we, we performed in our church youth group and then also in some places in the Nashville area, Christian organizations and things. And then um, when I went to college at Middle Tennessee State University, I was majoring in music business. By then I learned you're never going to be a, a wealthy musician, Braxton, but you can make money off of people who are wealthy musicians if you're their manager or something. So I studied music business, but then God called me to the ministry and I said, yes, and I've never looked back, but I still love music. And uh, like you, I still love music and, and you know, know a little bit. Um, I, I'm not I can't read music. I'm not, you know, the greatest, but but so, I have some so you're a brown. So you're you're a black belt in apologetics. You're a brown belt in music. Well, you know, actually, I got a yellow belt in karate and a yellow belt in taekwondo. One of them is a gold belt. Uh, so so let's just say I have a yellow belt. <laughs> OK. All right. We'll go with the, We'll go with the yellow belt. Um, all right. Interesting. Very cool. Now, now I grew up in a Spanish Pentecostal context and uh, we were very connected with a bunch of churches. So I was always not just at my church. I was always visiting other churches and just exposed to a lot of music. So I'm very much um, aware of like the musical culture, the worship culture of kind of those churches that tend to be more on the uh, charismatic um, uh, spectrum, if I can say that. Um, and it's very interesting to observe, and maybe you can kind of confirm this in your own experiences and people can resonate with this too, that music is such a, um, a powerful mechanism. It is a powerful tool, uh, to use within the context, uh, of worship. Would, would, would you say that that's been your experience? In oh, absolutely. Yeah. Come on. There okay. are certain songs. This is the thing. This is one of the reasons we have to be cautious, um, is because music can, seem right you know it can seem right to you and you can wrap up ideas that might be in the music as seeming right right along with it but i think you know certainly most christians who have been christians for very long have had um powerful experiences in worship uh, mm. there are people who who are not very emotionally inclined who maybe it, it doesn't they don't get the touchy feelies as much but i think still most people have had meaningful moments in worship um with music but even more than that, or not more than that, but just as much as that, and this is, of course, again, why we got to be careful, is I've had moments where a song that wasn't even a Christian song was so powerful on the radio or something, I had to pull over the car for a second and say, wait a minute, this is an incredibly just good, well-made, emotional piece of music. Um, and, and so, yeah, absolutely. Music is powerful and a powerful vehicle for ideas. Now to kind of nerd out. So, so I, the kind of music that I listen to, uh, I don't know if I've ever admitted this on YouTube, but uh, people ask, like Eli, Eli, you know, you do apologetics. You like talking about philosophy. I mean, like, man, what do you, what do you listen to? Like, like, you know, what's in your head, right? Well, you know, uh, I grew up uh, loving movie soundtracks. So mm. the majority, like 99.9% .9 of the music that I do listen to are music soundtracks, uh, movie soundtracks. And most of them don't even have lyrics. They're just, you know, you know, I love the Rocky soundtrack, especially the Rocky four. I think no easy way out by Robert Tepper is the song that I've listened to the most out of any song in my entire life. Uh, you know, roll down the windows, wear your eighties aviators and blast that the snare drum on that is straight up fire. Uh, and uh, star Wars, the star oh. Wars soundtrack. Now here's the thing. When I listen to Star Wars, and yesterday was uh, May the 4th, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, when I listen to Star Wars, there's actually a, a guy who actually enhanced the original uh, music to make it more epic. Um, and perhaps I'll share us. I mean, maybe I can I can show you where to listen to it online. It's, it's awesome. So I love uh, movie soundtracks. I understand 
uh, it's a stinking movie about aliens and space wizards. And even with the music from a movie, I can get the goosebumps because mm -hmm. it is a very powerful, uh, mm -hmm. music is a very powerful thing. I think God created us that way to respond uh, to, to music, be able to create music out of, out of yeah. creativity and, and, and these sorts of things. Um, but when we talk about worship music, um, I think it's very important to, before we kind of jump into worship music within the context of, I think people who are tuning in are thinking about, I think it's very important to kind of, uh, define what worship is uh, before we kind of jump into worship music. Uh, let's kind of go over what is worship in general. So maybe you can take a moment to share your definition of worship. And then I want to share, um, a passage out of uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, because unlike a lot of systematic theologies, he actually has a chapter on worship, which I think is uh, is helpful. So why don't you unpack for us what you think worship is, and then we'll correct you by quoting uh, Wayne Grudem. Yeah, well, so you know, if if you go into the Old Testament and you look at the at these earliest moments of of worship and things like this, it's very much closely associated with sacrifice. To worship is to sacrifice, okay. um, and or at least it will often have that as part of it. And I think that carries for Judeo-Christian theology and specifically Christian New Testament theology. I think that plays right on through to where we are today. Um, of course, worship in the Old Testament was uh, a lot to do with sacrificing various things. Um, at the tabernacle or at the temple or, or in other ways, and you would sacrifice, and that was an act of worship. You were giving of yourself for the good of another. You're giving of yourself um, because that's what God asks of you, to obey because of your love for God. As we get to the New Testament, as the law has been fulfilled, and Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without blemish, the one sacrifice that was weighty enough and worthy enough to cover the sin of the whole world, this um, in, in this situation, we still sacrifice in our worship and we sacrifice by living a sacrificial life. I, I sacrifice my life daily. Uh, to, but then in another sense, uh, worship and notice none, none of this necessarily has to do with corporately singing songs yet, although that can be part of it. Another thing I often say about worship is that to worship God is to do exactly what God created you ideally to do. When we think about worshiping God forever in heaven, without end. I think some people think this is going to be a really boring experience. I'm going to, I mean, you know, we're going to be in one corporate worship service with our nose in a Baptist hymnal, probably. And, uh, and, gonna, and, and you better bring a back brace because you're going to be bent over. It's going to really give you back problems. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be rough. It's going to be, and bring an iPad or something because it's going to get boring. This is not the idea of heaven that anyone wants. And actually, I think what has happened is that well-meaning pastors and evangelists and youth pastors have said things like we're going to worship God forever without doing what you're doing right now, which is saying, hey, let's talk more deeply about worship. And as a result, they've got the idea that heaven's going to be boring because forever we're going to worship God. Mm -hmm. When reality, I think, of course, we'll have corporate moments of worship. But the thing that should be understood is that every day in heaven, we will be living as God ideally wanted us to be living. Why does nature, why can we say that, that my dog is worshiping God or the, the trees are worshiping God or the rocks and all these kind of things? In a sense, at least in a sense, they're worshiping God in that they're at least trying to do what God made them to do, trying, you know, uh, anthropomorphizing, but they're doing what God created them to do in some sense, even if nature has fallen. Mm. Uh, but one day we will have perfect worship in that sense. So yeah. I think those are important things to say about worship. And I think when those two things are done right, then the corporate act of worship is an outflow of an overflow of joy from a life lived in gratitude to uh, this God who has given us so much. So yeah, see I, if Grudem can do better than that. Well, that is pretty good. Uh, I, I do like how you kind of um, uh, 
associate worship with this idea of sacrifice. It makes me think of Romans chapter 12, 1. I want to read it for folks. Uh, here's out of the inspired uh, translation. Um, okay, this is the translation that the Apostle Paul clearly uh, quoted from. Um, uh, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, this is the NASB, uh, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Um, and so that's very much wrapped in what you were talking about, kind of worship. It's, it's weird. Kind of we, we kind of segregate this, this genre of music called worship music so that when we're not doing that, we can kind of get the mindset that we're not worshiping now. But when we go into the congregation and we sing these songs, now we're worshiping. But mm -hmm. uh, this passage seems to be saying a little bit more. What, what do you think this passage is, is trying to say? Well, I, I think, first of all, go ahead and read verse two. Did you read through verse two? I did not. I only have verse one here, but I think oh, read verse one and then I'll quote verse two from memory. Read okay. it again. Look at, look at you. Look at yeah. you. You came prepared today. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And my yees give me away. My yees tell you I am reading from the KJV. <laughs> baby. Um, but, uh, but in any case, uh, it's just, that's what I have it all memorized with. All right. But yeah, I think it further uh, puts the exclamation point on what you're trying to draw out of this, which is to live a life of sacrifice. This is worship to God, at right. least in one respect. Right. 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 Um, and, and I think, I think also it's when, when we speak about Romans chapter 12, one, which is kind of uh, present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice. It has this idea of kind of your whole life being a sacrifice unto the Lord. And it's that living that life of sacrifice is what your true worship is, um, is in a very profound way, more meaningful than uh, what we do once or twice a week when we kind of sing a song, right? Anyone could sing a song and call it worship, but what are you doing when the songs aren't playing, when the music isn't playing, when the guitar isn't playing? I think that's very important uh, to keep in mind. Okay. So uh, let's, let's go to Grudem. Okay. So uh, in chapter 51 of his systematic theological monstrosity, the thing is ginormous. I actually have the, the updated version somewhere here. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty thick, but he has a chapter, uh, chapter 51 on worship. And he says this, he says, quote, the term worship is sometimes applied to all of Christians life, all the Christians life. And it, and it is rightly said that everything in our life should be an act of worship. And everything the church does should be considered worship for everything we do should glorify God. However, in this chapter, I'm not using the word in that broad sense. Rather, I'm using worship in a more specific sense to refer to the music and words that Christians direct to God in praise together with the heart, the heart attitudes that accompany that praise, especially when Christians assemble together. And then he specifically defines worship in this way. And then you can comment. He says, worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. Uh, do you agree, disagree, or perhaps want to add a caveat or, or something like that? No, no caveat needed because what he did in the first part of that comment is to put a parenthetical frame around everything I said and say, of course, all of this is true. But what I'm talking about is the corporate act of singing to God. Is that basically what he said? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And yeah. he says, you're pouring out, read it again, That just that part at the end. Uh, the definition part. Yeah. Just his, just, yeah, that the actual definition. Sure. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, in fact, there's only one of those things that still 
distinguishes it from just the regular act of worship. And that's the worshiping with your mouth, singing, that sort of thing. Okay. So but yeah, would, I like that. You would yeah. agree with him that there are different worship is one thing that encompasses all of life, but there, there can be an appropriate distinction between the all of life, which is worship and the specific act of singing within the context of the church and praise. And yeah, things like that. I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, all right. So let's, let's jump in though. So, um, we know that biblically, and we know that this is the teachings of Jesus, that theology is important, right? Um, theology is really the soil out of which everything else uh, kind of flows out of, right? Um, so so what uh, can you share with people or encourage people uh, with respect to this idea of the music we sing and the type of theology that it should reflect? What do you see in a lot of modern music uh, that perhaps capitalizes on that and does that faithfully or perhaps is a, a little off, as we know. Uh, a lot of people are familiar uh, with various songs that uh, sound beautiful, are emotionally powerful, uh, but really are, in some senses, heretical or borderline heretical or just straight out weird. Yeah, I think if you if you have a song that that is one of those things, hmm? or you determine that that's what's happening there, then perhaps you shouldn't sing that song. Like, don't sing that song. Um, I, but really what concerns me about this is, so there can be bad doctrine in old songs, new songs, you know, all, all of that is, is, is true. So in a, in a certain sense, you have to take it case by case when it right. comes to songs, what concerns me actually more, and maybe I'm jumping ahead in the conversation here, but what actually concerns me more than here or there in the music, I can find something that, that I think is, and I'm not even hundred percent sure if that's there intentionally, or if it's just someone getting carried away, you, you know, those kind of things. Um, I'm more concerned actually with what are the doctrinal affirmations of these in the cases of the places I think we have in mind now, organizations, churches, or at least big organizations that are, and, and, and labels now recording labels, that what what is the doctrinal affirmations of those places that are producing this music? Hmm. Because in reality, what we what we see happening is the music is very pop. The music is very good. And by the way, notice I haven't I haven't actually given you opinion yet. I'm just setting the stage. Sure. Yeah. Um, the mu the music um, is 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 good. Everybody loves the music in in terms of just its its appeal, right? And so w people listen to that, and then they go to. Um, concerts or conferences or whatever, ostensibly to hear a, for a praise and worship night or something, again, mostly about the music, but then there's doctrine, right? To the extent that something like that is happening, my bigger concern is not actually just that there might be, not that it shouldn't concern us when there's bad doctrine, yeah. but the bigger concern is, is this a pathway to something else that mm -hmm. is um, more straightforwardly a problem? Yeah, uh, in a in a much more robust way because there's actual didactic teaching about things mm -hmm. uh, like that. Well, what do you think? Well, well, well. I, I have a question. So, so have you found because that's an important point that you that you made. It can be a gateway. I mean, music is. Uh, I remember. I remember when I was in. in fifth Did grade, I say like, gateway? I almost can't. I almost hate well, no, no, that I said good, that. That's a good. That's a good. I think that's a good word. It kind of made me think when I was in fifth grade. I was part of the Dare program. Uh, kind of the just say no to drugs sort of, yeah. sort of deal. And I remember Officer Richie, Officer Richie, it was this Italian guy. He talked like this, like he was from Jersey or something like that. And he had a red, he always had a red face. His the image kind of, uh, kind of pops out at me. Um, and, and he'd always start every, every talk with the kids. He goes, look around, 
the person that you're sitting next to might be dead by the time you graduate. We were like in fifth grade, we're like, oh my goodness, you know. <laughs> and so he would talk about, uh, you know, uh, that you know, uh, it is very easy to succumb to uh, peer pressure and get into drugs and things like that. And he often referred to marijuana. Uh, or, or, you know, the devil's lettuce, as some people call it, uh, as the gateway drug, right? Um, you know, some people argue, well, it's not that bad, but, but it can be a gateway into more severe things. And so I would say that a lot of worship music can be kind of the, the, the marijuana, so to speak, the gateway drug into things that are more uh, severe. So, um, so I would agree with you. Um, we do need to be very careful. I, it's very funny that uh, Pine Creek is here. In the comments and and uh hey doug how's it going and he he actually left a comment that i i agree with uh <laughs> here we go here's here's doug he says i always pre-read the lyrics before singing worship songs now why is doug singing worship songs that might be a topic for another discussion but uh, good christians sh uh, should do this i think that is correct i think that um uh if you are on a worship team or you are in charge of uh getting the music together i think it's very important that uh, a worship pastor should be concerned with the lyrics of the songs that they're singing. I mean, it, it, is there any instance in which you, uh, you've you seen people kind of not make that an important thing? I, I have. People are like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, well, have you ever had that experience with anyone? Oh, sure. And I, and I think, you know, there are, ch I, I've been in good churches where, and I say this like I'm, like I'm some authority. I'm not. I've just. I, but I have been. I've preached in hundreds of churches when I was in evangelism, going around of various denominations. Um, and um, I, I've seen worship leaders. And this has been often. I'm going to tell you this has been often. Sure. That the pastor has said, "Hey, one of the things we want to do is we want to, you know, find out if you're willing to tell us what you plan on preaching on Sunday because we want the worship leader to be able to." you know, get music that kind of supports that or, or complements that, you know, and, and so there have been places where I know that they think about what's being sung and even what's being sung based on what the preacher's preaching and things like mm. that. And, and I think that's great. Um, there have been a lot of cases where uh, either because it's a very big church and they think they have to, uh, or it's, it's what all the big churches do, or because they're a smaller church and the guy doing the worship or the woman doing the worship or whatever the case may be, they don't have uh, they don't really have time to put all the effort into sussing out the theological issues. And, and so as a result, they just what you know, whatever seems to be the, the popular recommended worship songs of the day. Well, that's what we do. And um, and I and in a certain respect, though, that's not the ideal. I can certainly understand how that happens. Um and uh, so, yeah, I've seen, I think I've seen that happen. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, so here's the thing. So we know uh, some of these popular songs that come out of uh, Bethel uh, Hillsong, and we kind of all know the controversies surrounding that. I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the Hillsong documentary. Um, have you no, seen but it? I'm aware of the scandals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the documentary was really interesting. Uh, my wife and I, we watched it and it was, um, it was very fascinating, but we know, uh, we know that out of these, these churches, there's some pretty bad theology. Um, I remember when I was struggling, uh, uh, finding good sermons to just listen to, because I, I was listening to a lot of apologetics and a lot of theology. And I was like, you know, I just really need to, I need to listen to a sermon 
and I need to kind of allow uh, a nice sermon to edify me, a biblical sermon. And so I asked someone, you know, do you have any suggestions? And, you know, they listed, and I'm an apologist, so my heresy meters go up really easy. Uh, and they gave me a list of, I think only one of them was Orthodox. And uh, I, I know uh, Joel Olstein was on there. I know um, Stephen Furtick was on there. <laughs> and I was like, you should listen to Stephen Furtick. And I'm just like... <laughs> please step back because I'm about to explode. You know, uh, <laughs> there's some pretty bad theology that comes out of these churches, but these churches are making, and, and I know this is, people will differ. The music is good. I mean, aesthetically, the way it sounds mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, of bringing out certain emotions that cater to that context of worship. It's almost like it has the ability to create an atmosphere that you can touch it's mm -hmm. almost like when you're done with the worship and the music stops, it, it almost feels like you've stepped out of the presence of God. It's weird. It's something you can you can feel. Um, uh, how should we navigate the power of music, even music that has maybe orthodox lyrics, but comes out of these kind of uh, these churches that really promote, I think, very detrimental uh, doctrine? How should we navigate that in your opinion? Yeah, so I don't know, uh, but I'll give you what I think are some important things to keep in mind as you make a decision about this. Mm -hmm. I, I have really gone back and forth even just today thinking about this issue. So um, as I've told you that the, the, the organizations themselves and their affirmations are my biggest concern. Those are the things that I'm most worried about because the didactic teaching is obviously straightforward, you know, will be more clear to the person, even if it's false. Um, on the other hand, music is powerful in and of itself because you can change a culture with, with things like their entertainment, their music, their cultural stories that they tell. You know, we talked a little bit about that with Star Wars as like a cultural myth right. that our culture tells uh, right. itself. Um, so I'm more concerned about the organization than I am. the. But if you find a particular song that's problematic, I think that's, you know, obviously, yeah, if that's not salvageable. I think I remember Mike Winger saying about reckless love. He said, so, yeah, reckless doesn't work. But he said at the time he said you could say selfless love or something like that you know and he said you make up your own mind so you know I, I can't say whether a person shouldn't do that but there's two concerns that i think we should uh think about uh specifically if you determine that the the you know the theology there is bad like you kind of just suggested and um then i think that one thing to consider is in buying the music or in enjoying the music even in church and then and and that church is giving is, is in some way indirectly from your perspective, funding this organization or these organizations that if they are teaching false doctrine, you're in some way indirectly making that a bigger organization that's able to, in a more effective way, teach false doctrine. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, well, okay. So let's give some pushback. Cause I know, you know, someone who's standing as like, listen, I, well, by the way, before, but I don't mean to cut you off on your own show, <laughs> but I did want to get this out. <laughs> I am in a minute going to give what I think is the best reason on the other side perhaps not to suddenly, you know, pull the plug on all this. Okay. So, uh, but go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I know there, there are people who say, listen, you know, I, I have seen God move uh, when singing these songs and these sorts of things, you know, um, and someone could make the argument, well, wait a minute. Okay. So we shouldn't purchase these songs and use these songs because it's kind of, kind of like we are providing uh, financial resources to these churches who are promoting all sorts of terrible doctrine. Okay. Uh, I get it. But what happens when you buy uh, sneakers or when you buy mm -hmm. some clothing line that has been using, you know, sweatshop workers, right? It's like you're indirectly supporting all sorts of things when your money 
goes to other things. So like, look, so hypocritical, at least in this, in this instance, this music is actually edifying people uh, and God is using it, right? We, we've often heard people say that God can strike a blow with a crooked stick. So, okay, the church is a little off, but who's got perfect theology? The music is a powerful tool. How would you speak into somebody who's coming from that perspective? Well, I might agree. I mean, it depends on uh, the severity of the doctrinal issue, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, if, if like, let's just, let's just go to an extreme. Let's imagine that a church was teaching Mormon theology, but they wrote songs that theologically were uh, almost perfectly acceptable to most Christians, or maybe they're not, uh, or maybe they're a oneness church or a Unitarian type church in that respect. They're not Trinitarian, but they write music that in all every other respect is incredibly wonderful. Like, is there a line at which you would say, okay, well, because I understand that you don't want to cut off your nose despite your face sort of thing, but I do feel like there is a categorical difference between um, where I buy or what kind of bread I buy and who makes it right. Um, you know, to, to feed my family versus, um, who is providing the worship that my church is going to use to give me a sort of a recitation to say to God in an act of worship. And then what are they doing with the funds I gave them to give me that? Sure. It seems a bit more direct in a way that you can't easily like you could, and it wouldn't be even that hard. Um, well, that would go into the second point I want to make that's actually in favor of it. But I, but it, at least in a practical sense and taking sentimentality out of it, it's not like they're the only people making worship music. You could get worship music from more reliable places, right? It's not well, like that's right, not we're right here. I had a conversation with someone and I won't mention the person's name, but they were like, listen, you can get music other places, but let's be honest. The music's kind of whack. <laughs> so, <laughs> not, Fair all, enough. not right. all of them, but a lot of theologically sound music is just not that good right and uh True. and so you so you have this kind of conundrum that if you want the good sounding music you got to go with the heretics <laughs> if you want the, if you want the theologically sound hymns you got to go with the out of date you know 20 years behind style of music and i know that's not true uh no it does feel it does feel that way i mean yeah. you know like I, i'll tell you um I can worship God. I think because of being in so many different churches, I've kind of, and I'm not saying this to sound pious, please. Um, right. I have a lot of shallow issues, but in this respect, I've kind of developed the ability to worship God wherever I'm at because I had to, if I was going to worship God, because I was on the road at a different church every week. Sure. So if they were singing a 1990s uh, youth group type song, like, like, like um, what, like what, can you give us an example of a uh, 1990s youth group song? Shelter. Uh, what's the one about the shelter? Uh, my refuge, my shelter. There's the um, heart of worship. That was one we sang a lot. I'm coming back Shout to the heart the of Lord. worship. Remember that? Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. That's the one. <laughs> That's right. Shout to the Lord. See, if they're singing oh, something like that, on. I can get into it, man. This guy, guy, I can why still. Why don't you sing a verse? <laughs> well, which shout to the Lord. I don't know a verse. Just Is that the one? My Jesus, my, my, my no, I'm not going to sing it. But. <laughs> If you look hard enough, you might be able to find something like that online. I'll just my, say my that. wife, my wife just popped in. She goes, I know the hand motions to the song. So you can sing it. <laughs> you can have my wife dance in the background. It'll be, if uh, she'll do uh, the hand motions. I'll sing it. Uh, right, hey, she's right here. I can call. Oh, no, I, I retract. I retract. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I can worship God singing that I can worship God singing a hymn. In fact, I find it really powerful when in modern worship, they put a hymn, but I also find it powerful sometimes in, him only type worship they put in a powerful newer song 
Um, because I don't buy this, honestly, frankly, I hear this all the time and I don't see it. I don't necessarily buy this idea that the, that newer songs just ontologically can't have be good theology. Sure. They absolutely can. And there are examples and there are examples. I don't have any on me, so don't ask for them, but I, right. but I've seen examples of bad theology in, in older, you know, hymn type music. So mm -hmm. it can happen both ways. Um, but now I've forgotten the original question that we, that we started with. It's all right. This will be a perfect opportunity for me to speak to the audience for, uh, 10 seconds to remind them that as with all my guests, they are always so wonderful to, um, actually I didn't ask you, but I'm sure you're fine. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're always are, um, open to taking questions sure. uh, at the back end. So if you have any questions and there are already a few questions uh, in the comments, if you have a question, be sure to preface your question with question uh, so that I can differentiate them from the comments. So I know this is a super interesting topic and there are a lot of uh, questions related to this topic that have uh, great practical importance. So um, if you want to kind of put them in and at the back end, I will go through them and we'll see if we can get through as many as possible. Um, once again, if you're enjoying this discussion, be sure to uh, like this video and share it um, and, and check out the podcast too. So this will actually go up on the Revealed Apologetics podcast um, on iTunes. So you can kind of listen to it. I know there are folks who watch the YouTube uh, channel, others who listen through, um, uh, through iTunes. So uh, you can do that. All right. Well, um, here's my next question. And it is really uh, related to, um, how can I phrase this question here? There are a lot of people, and you could agree that today, today, we live in a time where a lot of people, a lot of believers um, are educated uh, theologically, primarily through music, so that most of the theology that people are getting are coming from the music. Uh, why don't you speak into that? What are the dangers of that? Uh, what, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to kind of navigate that and kind of use discernment uh, with respect to how much we put into music in terms of um, allowing the word of God to get into us? So, so, you, so you can study the word. Other people are not studying it as much, but they're kind of getting their theology from music. Their perception of Jesus comes from these songs that sound like love songs and things like that. How can you speak into people who are coming from that perspective? So first of all, and, and this, um, th I think I know what you, you're getting at, but let me say this in the meantime, because I am going to present something that I think is a positive reason in a minute, maybe not to, you know, to keep some of these things for now, um, unless they're obviously heretical in some way. Um, but, uh, um, Sorry, ask the question again. What was exactly you asked me? <laughs> no, no worries. Oh, someone, I'm, someone who, someone who is is enjoying this and they're getting most of their theology from music. Um, I, I would say to someone like that, first of all, don't do that. Um, even if it doesn't come naturally to you right now, find uh, a good preacher that that people you trust around you, people like Eli, will recommend, um, and uh, and 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 would you know say, yeah, that's a good guy. He or that, that's a good person who you can trust. They're giving you sound doctrine. Um, really rely heavily. You know, faith is is the Christian Christianity. We think about things corporately. Uh, we think about helping brothers and sisters. We think about uh, holding each other accountable, lifting each other up, and being one body um, uh, together. And so, in that regard, 
lean on those people when you're young in, in theology, when, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've never grown, lean on those older brothers and sisters who are ahead of you and, uh, and, and really learn and find someone. And even if it's work a little bit, remember, this is part of what worship is. It's sacrifice, sacrificing your time, sacrificing what's comfortable to you to push a little harder, to understand what God wants us to do. In second Peter chapter one, he tells us, uh, there's like eight or nine times in second uh, Peter chapter one, where he tells them that they're to grow in knowledge. And so may the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So make sure that that is happening. Music is great uh, for, for supporting that. And, and even for capturing certain things in an impressionistic sort of way, but we want the direct teaching to come from um, the word of God. And we want it to be theologically sound. Now, um, as for uh, the music itself, I would also want to say this. If you're a person who is in that state with particular songs that you find, even if, if your church sings songs by these groups, Hillsong, um, Bethel or whatever, Elevation Church, whatever it is, just if there's a song you like and you find yourself singing it at home or whatever, hey, run that by someone you trust. Even if it's at your church, if you're not sure, ask someone, ask someone that you do trust and say, well, can you read this and tell me, is there anything here that you're seeing that's a problem with this song? Because worship songs are different in one respect than just pop songs on the radio. Sure. Worship songs are songs people use for something. And it's not just entertainment. They use it to, to, to create that um, that uh, situation where they're in the right mindset to work, to, you know, to study from God or to hear from God. There's a lot going on there that's more than just listening to a song about two people in love. Hmm. So, so I, I think that's a good thing. And 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 um, even if your church continues to use it, at, use those songs you like to find out what is the theology of this and is it safe for me. Hmm. So, okay. So um, why can't we speak to people who maybe they, they're into music and they create music? Um, uh, so you have this idea of creativity, right? There's the balance of, of creativity and there's the temptation to uh, function in that space to reflect what's already out there. How do we navigate creative license uh, as a musician, as a singer and the unchanging truths of the gospel? How do we balance the, the desire to be creative and innovative while holding true to kind of these unchangeable truths that are so foundational to the Christian faith? Because I know there are people who like, hey, listen, you know, we get it. Theology has to be, you know, it has to be solid. But a lot of these songs, they're really setting the standard for a lot of people. And they are doing things that weren't done before in the, in the same way. So sometimes people will kind of look at these as kind of great examples of creativity and innovation. And so they try to push the envelope and doing things that people don't have never done before uh, in that way. How would someone navigate unchanging truths of the gospel and new and innovative ways to couch those unchanging truths within the dress of music um, or songs or, or whatever the case? I just think we, we you can innovate musically. Don't innovate theologically. Uh, I mean, you 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 basically said it in the question. I think is that you um, hold hold fast to those orthodox teachings uh, that the history of the church has stood on. And um, if you're in a if you know if you whatever your secondary doctrinal background is, you know you can hold fast to those things. Just just um, you know don't innovate theologically. Innovate musically. And when you're innovating musically, like one of the reasons that I think it is true, you know, there's an atheist that you and I know who he is, Matt Dillahunty, who I've debated. And Matt um, uh, Dillahunty said, well, this whole worship idea, I can get the same feelings at a concert or doing drugs 
or sure. wh whatever thing that you, okay, well, first of all, I, I don't think you're experiencing exactly the same thing as worship, but to the extent that these things are similar, I think that God has designed our brains to worship and you can use that brain that God designed to worship, to worship the wrong things. In fact, ancient, mm -hmm. I don't know why Matt Dillahunty thinks that's surprising when ancient Israel did that over and over and over again, sure. they used this gift of worship to worship the wrong things. Sure. And so, uh, so I, I just I just think that when we do worship, um, we should recognize that there are goods in the creativity of unbelievers in terms of style out there. Everything that is good, I mean, the the beautiful music, the creativity that goes into it behind a a John Williams movie score. I mean, come on, there is I can look at that and say no, I don't even want to say it's subjective. There's something objectively good going on. You're going to be playing the Star Wars theme song in heaven. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well and you know what? It springs forth from the creativity that God put into man that can be used right. for good or evil. Right. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a style that's popular right now. I, there's a guy here in uh, where I live uh, who's pretty fundamentalist in, in, in not the best ways. And uh, he told me a few years ago that, yeah, basically, because I said, you know, the songs that you like, they were popular and new at one time. And he said, sure. yeah, basically a song needs to be about 45 years old before we start using it because then it's not popular and we're not trying to be like the world anymore. Mm. I'm thinking, no, you are. You're just trying to be like the world 40 years ago. I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, so, so I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. The message has to be right. I mean, I'll tell you even with all this stuff going on and all the deconversions, deconstructions and all of that. And then the, the guy from Skillet, John, uh, John Cooper, I think is his name. Yep. And he got in trouble for speaking out against deconstruction as forcefully as he did and using spiritual warfare language that's couched in the New Testament. And um, I'll tell you, I've, I've really started. There may be something else about him that I don't know, but from what I know right now, I'm really appreciating him. And his music is not really the type of music I typically like. It's way heavier than what I would listen to. But mm. what he's saying is what our young people need to hear and what speaks to my heart. And I don't care if people think that sounds cool or not. That's that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get on a soapbox. No, no. Well, Something about your channel makes me want to preach. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's okay. I have you on here. This is you can get on a soapbox. That's why yeah. I have you on. So, um, okay. So, so here's an interesting thing. So when I when I think of a lot of modern worship music, um, the ones that sound decent, uh, I know that a lot of men. Uh, tend to have difficulty worshiping to some of these songs because uh, maybe you notice this. Is it is it just me, um, or do, do a lot of these new songs coming out of the elevations and the Bethel? They sound very feminine. <laughs> it's boyfriend Jesus music. That's what people call it. What, what was it? Say that again. Boyfriend Jesus music. Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's a lot. So, so a lot of women. If, if we had this some conversation with some women, they'd be like, "Listen, you don't understand. This is what speaks to my soul." But to a dude. I mean, a guy's just like, you know, there's songs talking about dancing with Jesus and the guy's like brolic with tattoos on his, you know, and uh, God saved him from drugs or gang life. And now he's here, you know, uh, worshiping to uh, Dixie Chicks or something. And having heart palpitations and sweating yeah. while dancing with Jesus. I mean, this is what's in the lyrics. I mean, this, right, this, right. this is uh, certainly sounds like romantic mm -hmm. love, physical romantic love, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean... I guess there's a certain respect in which uh, what, you know, what speaks to your heart there is subjective given your personal experiences. But, um, I don't think we should, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to speak about God as, 
as you would, let's face it, what we're saying is like a sexual partner. Right. I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I think we ought to ditch that, but then I could call something boyfriend, Jesus music that isn't boyfriend, Jesus music to somebody else. So I, yeah, I don't know. Sure. Um, it is tough, but I will tell you this, and I've been wanting to say this as we, I keep forgetting to say it is, um, I used to walk in the mornings. I need to get back to that, but I, and, and to finish my walk, I would spend about 30 minutes praying and listening to praise music and kind of, you know, kind of singing out loud, frankly. Yeah. And, uh, it was great. And I'll remember that one of the first times I heard, so will I, the song, so will I, I think it's Hillsong song okay. and, um, the lyrics and about the creation of the universe and all this stuff was just so powerful. I had a real hard time. Uh, you, you know how you mentioned that feeling that, that just kind of comes on you, which some people might say, well, that's just dopamine or you're just getting hopped up on whatever, you know? Um, but, uh, but when I've preached, Eli, and I wonder if you've had this experience, oftentimes after I've preached, I've felt that same pres uh, same feeling. And I didn't even want to like turn on the TV when I got back to a hotel room or back to my house because I didn't want it, I didn't want to disturb that sweet like presence that I felt, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds really bizarre to people who aren't Christians who might be watching. Um, but that's the experience. And, and I, and I've had that with, so will I, now that may have had more to do with what my, you know, my situation before God than the song that I was listening to, sure. but that's just to say, I understand how powerful it can be. Um, the sound I, of the music and the lyrics activated something in you that is closely connected with your relationship with God. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now what, let me, is it okay with you if I tell people, uh, what what it is that I think actually might give us pause about just saying no 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 we need to shut down with all this stuff and churches don't need to use it. Okay, go 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 for it. Yeah, because I've been holding that like a carrot out there, and I felt like I should say it. So if you say I've, anything that's off, I'll just go back and edit it later and and apologize. Yeah, yeah that's fine too. You could do that <laughs> for these people that are listening now. It's too late. It's too um, late. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing. Um, I don't want to make. I don't want to give like a consequentialist type of. Well, I'll say it this way. There are a lot of people um, to whom these songs that have already been released are very, very meaningful. One thing I wanted to say is, regardless of what you think about these organizations, if you find out that someone is even attending one of these churches or listens to this music regularly, don't think that means you can't just assume that that they have the same theological issues that the creators of that content have. Sure. Because after all, we are here talking about this because many Christians in American of America of various denominations sure. are, are listening to this stuff. And precisely because of that, we got to be very careful not to unnecessarily put a stumbling block mm -hmm. in front of people. There are some people that if they found out that they, that, that some of this music that is very important to them wasn't there anymore. Well, it doesn't mean that they would walk away from Christianity, but it could really hinder them and create spiritual hurdles and perhaps guilt and, and things like that in an, at an unnecessary time. And so in a moment where there is so much division in the church and unity is needed, I am right now live with you still trying to work through exactly what is the right answer to this? Because unless we have, unless we can see what is absolute uh, heresy and not just a secondary doctrinal issue that we might disagree with, Sure. Um, like you and I might write a song that was different as it relates to Calvinism or something. Right. But, um, and we I would love for you to write a song called tulips. 
Yeah, yeah, you can, you can write this song to us. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, but, but seriously, um, we gotta we gotta consider the fact that um, we're not to put stumbling blocks in front of people. So while I think that, in my opinion, the greatest thing in favor of this is that in supporting it financially, we are indirectly funding organizations that are preaching false doctrine. And I realize that we have to cut off our nose to spite our face when it comes to all of our other goods that we live with. But when it comes to worship, I think there's something specific and, and, and more direct going on there that I think we should pay attention to. But on the other hand, the, the, the thing that I think needs to give us pause is we are talking about a lot of people who may well decide I'm not going to, I guess I can't attend this church anymore because they saw us talking about it and took seriously what we're saying here. So, um, you know, I don't think that we should compromise, but the question I think we should ask ourselves and you have to ask yourself as a viewer is given this information and given the things that we're discussing here, is it? compromise to continue going to a church that has those songs mm -hmm. is it compromise for someone to listen to that and incorporate it as a part of their worship is it and are there any songs from those groups that they can because they don't have problematic no. theology in one sense i'm just restating the problem right back that we've been discussing but i'm restating it back with the understanding that this has immediate kingdom implications and sure. we just have to be more wise than um, I don't know, too knee jerk about this. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's, there's reason to be cautious about it. Yeah. So now you said something about the importance of unity, but, um, definitely you're not, you're not referring to unity at the expense of orthodoxy, right? Right. That's right. There are issues that we, that are worth dividing over. Um, so, um, if someone is concerned about this, um, which a young person approached me just a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, listen, I think I, I and he's a new believer. He's solid. He, he's, he's being discipled and stuff because you know what? I don't know if I can, if I can continue going to this, this church because of this music thing, I mean, in his discipleship in his personal studies, he's listening to sermons that are very gospel centered, biblically based. And then he's listening to music that he's hearing and saying, this doesn't seem right. Like, should I talk to the pastor about this? Is it going to cause unnecessary division? I mean, should I leave the church if this is convicting me? And, and if, and if I answer yes, if it's convicting you, go somewhere that if if it's that serious, then is it something we should address? Like, hey, pastor, we, we should be more wise when we, you know, maybe maybe the pastor doesn't know that some of these songs are connected to these uh, these churches that promote these false doctrines and things like that. How do we navigate that? Because it seems like on the one hand, we could say, well, we don't want to cause division, but, but someone can make a very good argument that, well, Given the theology that's coming out of the churches that produce these songs, we need division from that. That that warrants an, an appropriate uh, uh, dividing line because mm -hmm. we're talking about worship. We're talking about leading people before the presence of God. And when they see the name of the song and and where it comes from and people say, hey, man, that was a great song. Now we're actually that's the gateway. Um, mm -hmm. Don't we have a responsibility to really come down hard on that, even though it goes against the, uh, you know, the fact that these songs are popular, that a lot of people have been impacted by the songs. How do we navigate that? How serious should we be taking this? So my opinion on this, and this is tough waters we're refueling our way through, but my opinion on that is, yes, we, uh, you know, in, if there's an organization and uh, uh, 
an organization that is not doctrinally sound, you should not, you should not affirm that organization. I agree with that. Um, and the whole discussion here, of course, is so yeah, you, we should not have unity with people that are teaching things that are not Orthodox Christianity. right? Right. Um, and if any one of these songs, you know, was teaching something like, um, the Trinity is false or, or any, you know, these central fundamental truths of the Christian faith, then there's not even a question, right? That's done. That's out. What I'm talking about is since this music has so permeated the church and there are so many people there, and I've told you my concern, I have a serious concern about this. Um, and that is the funding of, of this thing. And so, um, that's, that's very concerning. I think, talk to your pastor about it. Talk to your pastor and, and see, because, you know, in seminary, I don't know about you, Eli, but in seminary, I had to study a theology of worship. I mean, think about what the, the well, you were just reading from the systematic theologian a moment ago about worship. And th- that's why he and I gave pretty much the same answers, because you learn all that right, in seminary and stuff. And so pastors should be prepared to talk about what they think about the worship and uh, the worship leader should. Now, they won't all be, but they should be. So it's not your fault if you ask them and they don't have thoughts about this. Right. That's on them. And yeah. so it's perfectly fine for you to ask them and talk to them um, about this and, and get their opinion. Now, um, I, it's a little bit ambiguous because we're talking about, in a certain sense, songs that aren't in front of us right now to go through line by line. Perfect. That's one side of it. And organizations that the three of them aren't exactly the same, right, the, of the ones we've discussed. All of that. So we're kind of speaking in generalities. And so generally speaking, I think the biggest argument against this is the is the issue that, uh, you know, the biggest argument to do away with it is because you're funding it. The biggest argument to, to not do anything too hasty necessarily, but follow your convictions um, is to say this this is uh, permeated our our churches to such a degree that we need to understand that it's going to cause a lot of division, even among Christians who have nothing to do with those churches. Mm. And all I'm saying is before you make that decision as a pastor or whatever, or as a, as an individual looking at what church to go to count the cost of it and ask yourself, is it compromise? Is it comp? If it's compromise, well, I think you, you can't do it, but if it's not compromise, that's a different question. It could just be that, um, it's, it's just not our favorite uh, kind of music or sure, our favorite sure. genre or something like that. I, I don't know. We got to be honest with ourselves. Sure. Sure. All right. Thank you for that. Now, my last question, and before we get to some of the questions, there are, there are quite a few of them. Um, uh, what do you think about um, contemporary worship versus the more liturgical kinds of churches that do sing the kind of the quote unquote old stuff. Now I know that the old stuff used to be new stuff back in the day. Um, and now it's old stuff, but we tend to think of Orthodox music as the older stuff, which is not always the case either. Um, but, um, is there a value, um, over the more contemporary context going back to the more old school, uh, way of doing things in terms of the more liturgical context of, uh, kind of the old fashioned sort of churches that follow that more structure of everyone singing the hymns together. And it's, it, it's more structured and contained as opposed to a lot of these free flowing, uncontained, uh, sometimes questionable theology worship experiences. How would you compare the two? Well, I think there's two questions there, right? So um, there is the question of older established music versus new modern music. And then at the end, you mentioned questionable theology. Now that kind of puts a different, because there's, you know, I mean, 
those are two separate questions, I think. Bad theology is bad theology. We don't want it in our old hymns. We don't want it in our new music if we can help it. Sure. Um, old, older stuff, now there is a case to be made. Now, there, I don't think there's anything you can say, thus saith the Lord here about that, sure. about the your favorite you know, genre of music. But what I think we can say um, about it is there are positive cases to be made um, in both directions, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think the best of both worlds, why not use a little of both something that reflects the culture in which you live musically and something that reflects the past. Now, the value of the past and having hymns, as you no doubt know, and many people will be quick to point out is, um, OK, if the theology is better than the theology is better, I'm not necessarily sure about that. But let's just say the theology is better. OK, that's a point in favor. But but a point in favor of it would be there's something that becomes a familial thing that we pass on from generation to generation that um, that we continue that that kind of binds me to my grandfather that we both sang this same song this same worshipful song to God out of a book very much like the one I'm holding right now you know the same kind of hymnal and we sang this same song my grandfather sang these same words or my grandmother you know that's that there's something to that I think it's the faith of the fathers sort of thing being passed down and and I can appreciate that on the other hand to the extent that um, you know, there's a, I'm not even going to make the case because I don't really know if I buy it, but where people feel like there was that something, I shouldn't say, I'm just going to leave it at that because I feel like what I'm about to say next, I need to let ruminate a little bit sure, uh, before fair. I say it. So I'll just, I'll just leave it there. There is a positive case for him that if the theology is better and that it, it, there's a string like that of, of connectivity from your, from your past family members and, and heroes of the faith in the past. Sure. I guess one could say this. If someone experienced trauma or was in a, de a, a denomination that was um, that didn't treat them right or, or didn't represent Christ well and they associate certain songs with those churches, perhaps newer music or different music um, allows them to start over. I think sometimes and I don't want to be unfair to people who have experienced that, but I think sometimes that can be that 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 can be exaggerated. But I but I but but to the extent that that's a real thing. You know, there's a book from a long time ago, about 20 years ago called um, Worship Evangelism by Sally Morgenthaler. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, but but it talks about how, you know, after the boomers generation, people brought in, people people in the 90s, let's say, started trying to attract the boomer generation and the current generation by going into movie theaters and making atmospheres that didn't look like traditional churches and no stained glass window and all those kind of things. And that did seem to attract some people, but overwhelmingly what it seems like, according to Sal Morgenthaler, Morgenthaler's book, is that even those boomers who, who left church because they got hurt in church or something, they found something comforting about the, uh, about the trappings of a, a place of worship that sure. were most typically typically associated with traditional churches. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Well, I hope uh, everyone's been enjoying this discussion. We're now going to transition to uh, taking some questions and hopefully the questions are uh, somewhat on topic, um, but we'll see what's uh, what. Okay. So uh, Martin Luther, of course, not the Martin Luther that we're all thinking about. Oh, okay. So it's a pre-sub question. All right. Not on topic, but uh, we'll kind of go through this quick. And if you, if you want to hear more stuff on pre-sub, then definitely join me when we have that pre-sub round table because you, you won't just get answers from me. Uh, you'll get answers from a bunch of other people. Maybe that'll give you a kind of a fuller understanding. But uh, just real quick. So uh, Martin Luther says, I've heard some pre-sub people say that if the argument for the Christian God is not definitive, rather than a probabilistic argument, it will leave the unbeliever with an excuse. 
Is that true? Well, there are a couple of things that need to be teased out here. As a presuppositionalist, I have no problem using probabilistic arguments and appealing to evidence. Um, the presuppositionalist believes that everything is evidence for God. And so everything encapsulates the concept of probability. So probabilistic arguments, we would argue, uh, have to presuppose the reality of the triune God and his revelation anyway. Now, how do we tease that out? Um, I won't tease that out here because that would require some time. But um, I would argue, and of course, uh, Braxton and I have talked about methodological issues here, and we're not going to debate it here. Um, but I would... I would um, to close this question off, I would echo the words of Dr. Scott Oliphant, who is a professor there at Westminster Theological Seminary. He said that presuppositionalists are eminently evidentialist in that we think that everything is evidence for God. Um, and we can uh, we could argue in that way, presuppositionally, and it would be no different. Even if I appeal to probability arguments, I would argue they have to presuppose God for their intelligibility and cogency to begin with. So I'll leave there, leave it at that. Hope that's useful and helpful. Uh, let's move on. Thank you so much, Martin Luther, for your question. Uh, all right. So Arthur Bear asked a question. If a church is biblically sound, is it okay if they use worship music from Hillsong, Elevation, and Bethel, considering the known strange false teachings from those churches? So we kind of covered that, but uh, why don't you just kind of briefly address that question uh, here and now? So in summary, um, the, uh, currently, I'm just going to say, Eli, you can don't feel like, you know, you, I mean, I know, you know, you can disagree with me about this and it's your show. So don't, don't feel like you have to do a different episode and talk about this. You can say, if you disagree with me, but all I feel comfortable right now saying is, listen, um, the, the fact of the matter is that that's a decision. I think you're going to have to make, um, under the conviction of the Holy spirit and see how God leads you about that. Unless what is being sung, um, is is obvious heresy or something like that then talk to your pastor about this just the now the fact that that it is from these organizations i have concerns about that too i'm telling you i have concerns about that i'm just not yet to the level where i think that um i can tell people to quit going to a church sure. just because they're doing that music yeah sure. I, I would agree i also think it's very important that we don't um respond uh, in extreme ways. So like, you know, you listen to a Justin Peters, uh, you know, uh, video. I know Justin Peters often speaks out against a lot of these sorts of things. And, and I, I really appreciate the stuff he has to say. I'm not disagreeing with him. I, I agree with a lot of what he says on this topic. Um, but you don't, you know, and you listen to a John MacArthur sermon and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, we got to fight against this. And you just run into your pastor's office and you make a big mess. You have to understand that music is something that is very embedded in the culture of a church. And so sometimes it takes um, uh, a strategy and love and patience in kind of helping the church shift in a direction that is more in line with scripture. If the issue is that these songs are not in line with scripture or they're singing songs associated with, um, you know, churches that we would find questionable. So I think we should take a very, um, patient and loving approach, but at the same time, an uncompromising approach and making sure that we are speaking with the pastor. Now here's a defense of the pastors. Um, pastors, are aware of the theology of worship, but that doesn't mean your pastor is automatically savvy to the uh, about the churches of which every song your worship leader is singing on Sunday. So you got to you don't condemn your pastor right away. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate. Okay, you know, I've worked in ministry before. You know, pastors aren't sitting in their offices twiddling their thumbs. There's a lot going on in the ministry of a pastor, so he might not be aware. However. I think these issues are important enough that they weren't bringing them, bringing it up to him and working together uh, to uh, make the necessary changes in a way 
that um, respects the congregation, respects the fact that people are at different levels and that this might uh, require a little time to shift into instead of just doing a complete overhaul right away and starting a, a revolution and uh, creating division unnecessarily. Now, I say that on purpose because I do believe division needs to be created in certain contexts, uh, but you yeah. want to be careful how you go about that. I hope that makes sense and answers your, your question there. Um, I'm going to put this here. It might be a kind of a same question. If it is, we'll, we'll move on. But uh, Kayla Henderson says, uh, what should a person do if their church is sometimes singing modern worship songs with problematic lyrics? Okay. The pastors are already aware. Some of us are concerned with the lyrics. Well, again, so if the pastors are aware, I mean, yeah, that, that should be a conversation that that should be had. I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, yeah. And, and in fact, I, I'll tell you, um, I, Again, follow your conviction here. I don't want to tell you different than what than what I than how God would lead, but I'll tell you what I have told. I'll tell you, you're a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. We've already said that. But I have had people call me over the years or message me on Facebook who I don't even know and say, "Hey, you preached at my church years ago." Blah blah blah. I trust your opinion. Um, I'm not a Calvinist, but we just we just got a new pastor. And he's a Calvinist and it's, you know, we disagree on this and it's, it's an issue. And what, and should I say at this church or should I leave? And what I always tell him is, I don't see any reason you should leave your church unless, I mean, I wouldn't, I could worship in a church with you, Eli. I, th I personally think it's silly that people can't worship together like that. But in any case, no one's required to agree with me about that. Um, but I've told them where you should leave the church is if it's such an issue for you that you're going to cause a problem over it that that isn't necessary hmm. and and in fact there are issues that there might be issues I, I don't think i would or somebody like you would but there are issues that christians will be so passionate about that is a secondary matter and they will um and 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 they can't be they can't stop causing problems and and it's not even coming from a bad place it's coming from a love for the bible and for theology and all all those kind of things now it, it may be that the things in some of the songs that we're talking about aren't a secondary matter and if they're not a secondary matter don't sing those songs but the use of songs from churches that are questionable seems to be what we could call a secondary matter right now mm -hmm. um that is churches that would all affirm each other or brothers and sisters might disagree about using that. So I think if you're if you if you're going to divide the church over it, then then that might be a, something to consider. Yeah. Walk, finding another church where you can worship in in unity. Right. And I and I just want to highlight the fact that you said when you say secondary matter, to say something that is a secondary matter is not to say that it's unimportant. Oh, that's very important, point, Eli. Um, but but at the same time, secondary matters are secondary matters. So there's a specific context and a specific way that we address those, as opposed to say matters that are more of, of more primary importance. All right, Kayla Henderson has another question here. Uh, would you be worried about raising your kids in a church where music from bad ministries is sang? What if this leads to kids doubting everything about God if we compromise on this? Uh, what do you think about that, Braxton? If you feel like you're compromising, then don't compromise if you that that's this is again i hate to sound like a broken record but um i'll tell you for me um where where the line would be crossed for me with my kids in worship is if they say things that deny the gospel or deny one of what almost anyone would consider the fundamentals of the faith you know things like the death burial and bodily resurrection the virgin birth uh the trinitarian nature of god all, all these kind of things if if they um if they aren't if I mean these these are the the unequivocables things like that, 
And so, um, yeah, I, I think on these other things, I, I think there's grace. I may have lost where the question is again. I'm sorry. It's getting late. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. Oh, raising kids. So I, so with my kids, I don't worry about that because here's why Eli, I teach my kids theology at home. I teach them Bible at home. We do devotions. I want them to know what their daddy thinks about what the word of God teaches and why he believes it and why he thinks it's true. And the great men and women who've gone before me who have taught those things and how it connects and where it's taught in the Bible. That's what I want to do. So, so when my kids, um, if they, if they hear something that supports, let's say baptismal regeneration, mm -hmm. the idea that water baptism is necessary for salvation, something that I absolutely do not affirm. Um, if it, but if, but if that something that seemed to imply that was in a song, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me because I know that I'm going to have a conversation about that song with my kid later. And we talk about this stuff all the time. Sure. I understand that not everyone is a seminarian and, and, or anybody feels that they know these things well enough to talk about them, but, uh, but you can still endeavor to do that at home. And I think that's important. Hmm. All right. Thank you. Uh, Kayla strikes again. I'm going in order. So she kind of has a couple of them here. I think it's a good question. So is it better to go to a theologically excellent church with no children's program at all or a church with Bible teaching and ministry, but bad music? And she has there the sinner's prayer. And I think it's the idea that, you know, it's kind of the casual idea that if I say a prayer, that means I'm saved. And I, I know that from our different perspectives, I think we both agree that, you know, you're not saved by simply uttering words there. So we don't mm -hmm. have to get into that issue. But um, how would you speak to that? Well, believe it or not, this is something that um, I'm considering right now, and I'll tell you why. Because the church I go to is very doctrinally sound, mm -hmm. um, but actually, uh, both of my kids are wanting to one night a week go to a different church that is a different denomination mm -hmm. that believes differently than I teach my kids on at least a couple of important secondary issues. Is it, is it a Calvinist church? It's not a, Cal it's not a Calvinist church. And so, um, and so I, I'm trying to make that decision, but I have so far let them sure. go to these, uh, to this other church. Now what they're teaching again is Orthodox Christianity. Don't get me wrong, but on secondary matters, they differ from me. And I have so far been okay with that for the same reason I just gave before. I am teaching my kids the truth so that when they encounter a, a counterfeit, they know it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Um, Philip uh, Waddell, I hope I said that right. Uh, how, do you have trouble pronouncing people's name on your show, Braxton? I do. I just go with it. <laughs> okay. Just go with it. You know, it sounds like I'm speaking in tongues. Uh, that's another, that's another video. Anyway. Um, how does the psychology of music and the idea that a certain musical construction produces a certain emotion relate to the psychology of worship? How does one navigate emotionalism in music? That's an excellent question, Philip. Thank you so much. Well, I mean, a part of how God made us is we are emotional creatures. And so while I think that some Christians emphasize the emotional side of things far too much. And some Christians um, emphasize the intellectual and doctrinal side of things to the exclusion of emotional connection to God in our, in our relationship with him and in our worship. I, I think he created us with both of those capacities. And I think that they're both, both important and there's room for the expression of both. But I think that the commenter makes a good point in his question. And that is that we should have a balance and we should be aware that emotion can move. I'll tell you, um, it's it's funny because uh, I just had someone spoke at our church recently. It's a friend of mine just this past Sunday. 
And he was talking about how people can use emotion to convince you of things without giving you reason to believe those things. Mm. And this person played a commercial from a car company. It was a Chevy commercial. And I, I, it's, it was so perfect for this because the car wasn't in the commercial, maybe, maybe like two seconds out of the whole minute long commercial. And you never saw like the full car, but you saw a golden retriever and a guy hugging the golden retriever and a little <laughs> girl sitting in front of the fire with her daddy and, 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 and all that. And it's a Chevy commercial. You didn't tell me anything about the car. What you should have done is give me a reason to think I should buy this car. You didn't do that. And what you did was you sold me Americana. You sold me a father and daughter. You sold me a golden retriever. And now when I think about Chevy, I have those warm feelings. At least that's what they want to be the case. So mm. I think we, but you know, I think we just keep those things in balance and be aware of that. Now it is interesting that um, there has been some um, neuroscience that, that uh, has indicated that when people are in a state of worship like that in a corporate worship service, there are demonstrably unique things happening in their brain. Sure. The naturalist wants to say about stuff like that. Well, see, that just means this is completely naturalistic. And I say, no, it just shows that there's also a natural side of it. And sure. it kind of shows that God maybe made us for worship. Yep. Yeah. If we're experiencing, if we're having an experience with God, uh, that experience is also manifesting in a physical body, which yeah. is having all sorts of things happening. So if you measure the physical things that are happening, uh, you know, it's kind of like when, when we talk about the brain, uh, you know, where, where does thinking occur? Well, if man has an immaterial mind, the thinking occurs in the immaterial mind, but that doesn't mean there's not corresponding physical activities that can be measured going on in the brain. It's just not, it's not a, an either, or I think the same thing, um, we can have a genuine experience with God and we could have corresponding physical things happening in our bodies. So, um, yeah, I think that's important to, to keep in mind. Now, uh, I know it's late. Um, can we do just a couple more and then we'll wrap yeah, it up? Yeah, let's do it, okay. man. Okay. Um, so, Andrew uh, Majeste, sorry. I think I'm, gonna go, I'm just going to go with that. Thoughts in spontaneous worship moments. Not talking about tongues. I know sometimes this has added so much beauty to the moment that it gets integrated into the official lyrics. I'm not sure. Are they talking about kind of just uh, when you're singing a song and, you know, instead of going to the next verse, they kind of just have this spontaneous, like, everyone lift up their hands and they kind of go off this riff. Uh, what do you think about those things? You, you know what he's referring to? I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. It almost seems like maybe what Andrew is talking about is a moment where you just are suddenly aware of how grateful and, and all those kind of things you should be toward God and worship. Um, I, I've certainly had that. It's, it's strange because you'll even run into unbelievers like, the world's most famous atheist, Richard Dawkins, has said very similar things that it's it's mm. like you want to worship or it's like you want to express gratitude to something or someone, but there's no one there. And I think that is just that the world we live in and everything. I agree with you. You may be a presuppositionalist. I may be a classicalist. But the fact is, I agree with you that every object and concept in reality is, can be used as part of a great reason to believe that there is a God. It's all evidence for God. Mm -hmm. And I, I can look at the world around me and sometimes just walk out of my house on a great day with great weather. And I just look around at the green trees and grass and the blue sky. And I'm just caught up in a moment of worship. I think that's real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Uh, Bought with a price says, has Braxton seen or heard of avoiding songs that sound tulipy? 
since he did mention it or the other way around for Eli. So uh, have you ever heard a song that sounds kind of Calvinistic and you're kind of just apprehensive about it, or maybe you don't care. Um, and then I'll share my thoughts also. I, it doesn't bother me one bit. If I, I mean, because first of all, a lot of the music that, that I might say, Oh, I think a Calvinist wrote that or something like that. You know, <laughs> a, a lot of that kind of music, they're using language that as you know, Christians and Calvinists often can affirm. Like, for sure. example, you can certainly agree that man is free, right? You just, you know, frame all that up a little bit differently than I do, or a lot of it differently, but differently, right? Yeah. Um, uh, on, on the other hand, um, what I just had one in mind that, uh, oh, we can, we still believe that God is sovereign and we believe that God is in control and we believe in providence such that we can say about, um, the church raising the funds they need for whatever. Look sure. what God did. God did that. Right. And I believe that God did orchestrate things such that that outcome obtains. So since we can kind of use each other's terminology a little bit, it doesn't bother me. And I'll tell you a better reason it doesn't bother me is a lot of people end up sounding Calvinist because they want to emphasize the power and control and sovereignty of God in their worship. A lot of people sound like open theists in their worship too, because in trying to describe God, they sound anthropomorphic, but I don't freak out over that either. So that's right. I like tulipy sounding songs. Yeah. T-U-L-I-P. That's the song for me. I believe in the sovereignty. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> hey, if it's tulipy, I'm down. Tulipy sounds like it could have something effeminate going on with it, which is what you said you were not supposed to do. Oh, maybe. So. I was just thinking tulipy. <laughs> <'cause> it... <laughs> That's right. All right, go on. I'm just kidding. What's the yeah, next one? Yeah, I don't make a big deal out of it. You know, if, it, if it's talking about uh, salvation, that he died for all and things like that. Like, yeah, like I, I'll have different ways of, of hashing that out. But am I going to nitpick in the context of like a service that's singing that song? Is like, oh, I can't sing the song. No, I, I wouldn't. Um, again, there are certain hills that I would die on, and there are certain hills that I don't die on. Now, if the worship, uh, the, the singer who's singing the song, I get into a conversation with them, and we end up talking about limited atonement, then yeah, I'm going to defend limited atonement. But I'm not yeah. going to nitpick um, the lyrics to the song. And by least. the way. Don't do that to your pastor either when he's preaching and he says something that you know he wasn't trying to emphasize and it was just their impact. Don't nitpick your pastor like that. It seems like you've been nitpicked before and you're now lashing out. Actually, you know what? I've been blessed not to be nitpicked in years, okay. but I've, I've seen some guys get nitpicked. Okay, this is true. I, I have seen that as well. <laughs> uh, Scott Terry says, uh, should we dr uh, consider dress and attire during worship as part of the worship? This is the Hawaiian shirt versus suit coat debate. What do you think? Why don't you answer that? This is your channel. I want to know what you think. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter to me. I do think that there's a certain level of quote unquote appropriateness, but that's a very uh, gray line. Uh, I, I wouldn't press it too much. I know there's some people who come really, they come really strong down on like, nope, it's worship. You need to have the, the shirt and tie. Listen, Jesus walked around with a first century robe and sandals and talked to people. And when, they, when Christians met in the church and, you know, they just dressed, they came just as they were. Okay. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there isn't a certain level of inappropriateness, right? Uh, but I don't I don't think that we should be too legalistic on that. Um, I think we should address we should dress appropriate. What does that mean? You could have different perspectives there. But I do think generally speaking, um, for the most part, people know that eh, I don't think I should be wearing this if I'm going to worship. Um, what does that look like? It may look a little different. So uh, that that's where I don't make a huge deal out of it. I get it. Someone who wants to wear a tie and I, I totally get it. And I don't have anything against that. Um, but I do have something against when someone says it's sinful or rebellious 
to come to church with a t-shirt and, you know, uh, uh, jeans or something like that. That's just me. If, if you were, if you were with me on a mission trip, I would want to know, or maybe ask Scott, like if we were on a mission trip in a third world country and we attended a church there and people were dressed in rags, um, or they sang different style music, or maybe they were dressed really fancy, but the style was completely different. Um, we see that sometimes at Trinity in graduation. We have people coming over from African countries and they wear all the clothing that they wear in worship over there. And it's very colorful and it's very fancy, but it's not what Americans wear. Right. Well, what's going on there? Culture's going on there. We'd all be okay with that because there's a cultural difference and it's appropriate within the context of that culture. Now, mm -hmm. you got to be careful because people can use that as a loophole to get away with whatever they want to when it's not things that's going on in the culture. But the truth is, churches have cultures too. And I expect to see things that are a little bit different in the church that my grandparents used to go to, that, that you know, little bunch of little old people there, than I, than I see in a young, let's say, minority church um, in a city. You know, those are very different cultures. And it's just going to be different. I think that important things to keep in mind through all of this is um, you you want to make sure, I know this isn't popular to say, but you want to make sure you're not trying to intentionally draw your draw attention to yourself. Right. And certainly not in a sexual way, right? I mean, I'm just saying there's a reason this stuff has been said for so long because it's just true and we just need to be able to say it. And so uh, you want to dress modestly, um, I think, it, it just in life in general, you know, dress the way you think God leads you to dress. Mm. And um, I think at the same time, you may be perfectly appropriate, but you might be intentionally dressing flashy just to get people's attention. Right. So I think all these things are things that need to be weighed. And I think uh, Christians should, um, should, you know, be, be charitable to the fact that this can be conditioned a little bit culturally. Um, because like you said, Jesus wore, uh, probably wore sandals and, and a robe or whatever. Right. So the fact of the matter is that's a cultural difference between where we're at now and where Jesus was. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Braxton. This was excellent. I thought you did an excellent job and I know oh, from the thank comments you. that I passed over, um, uh, I allowed the, the comments to remain in reprobation. I passed them over and did not address all of the, the points there. I think people are, are finding this conversation really useful. And so I, I really appreciate it. Um, I think we should conclude this interview with uh, singing a song. Let's uh, sing the old rugged cross. Or <laughs> Are we going to sing? Are you serious? <laughs> or come just as you are. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. On a hill far away. <laughs> Stood an old <laughs> rugged cross. Sing it, brother. Sing you it. Know words? I don't know the rest of the words. The, the emblem words. of suffering and shame. <laughs> <laughs> now we can collect offering, so you can send your super chats. Or yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that was awesome, dude. I don't think you this is this the first show you've ever sang in. Am I, am I, am maybe, I, okay. It might be. He's like, I don't remember. Maybe I might have staying somewhere else. That is awesome. Well, um, where can people find you if they want to get uh, more of what you are serving? Because before you say that, I highly, highly recommend to visit the YouTube channel that loves atheists. There are a lot of excellent, uh, excellent videos and content and uh, review videos um, over at Braxton's channel. Why don't you tell folks uh, briefly uh, what's your channel all about and where can they go to find you? So my goal is to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and king and come into God's kingdom. And um, I'm an evangelist first and a Christian apologist second. 
And so apologetics is only a part of what I do because it is a, in my tool belt to reach people for Jesus. And principally on this YouTube channel, I've been focused on atheists, although we have a whole uh, playlist for world religions and another one for cults and things like that, too. So you can check all of that there. But it's apologetics. But then I also have a Bible commentary, a co an audio and video commentary through the Bible um, keeping theology and apologetics in mind. So we go off on every rabbit trail. And if you say, well, well I don't know if I agree with you. I'm more agree with Eli. Well, that's fine. I try to cover all the major issues um, from each perspective when that's relevant to do. Although it is true that I'm not a Calvinist, so your mind may vary. Um, right now we're in the book of Jude, and there are already 30-something hours on the book of Genesis. So um, if you're into Bible, then uh, we'd love to have you over at Trinity Radio and you can get there by going to youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Mm, yeah. Uh, Scott, Scott says here, uh, let me put this up here. Oh, oh, where was it? There we go. It just reminds me that that girl, the, the, the environment, she talks on it. What's her name? That girl. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the environmentalist girl. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I don't remember her name. <laughs> uh, he says, how dare Eli have a classicalist on his show? They're joking, of course, but, uh, You'll have yeah. to repent after this yeah, is over. Repent. That's it. We'll we'll sing the, the old rugged cross. Well, um, just a couple of things. If you guys want to continue to follow Revealed Apologetics, uh, we have the YouTube channel. Obviously, if you're here, there's the podcast. And believe it or not, I actually, against my better nature, I actually started a TikTok account. Okay. Oh. So I have uh, content on there that is not on here. Um, so if you want to follow Revealed Apologetics on TikTok, that'd be super helpful. That's one of the ways you can support me. I am on Instagram. I'm on Twitter as well. And um, so I would appreciate you. If you guys are enjoying the YouTube channel, you go over to those uh, formats. I'm going to really try to put some more content out more uh, consistently. I'm shooting. I got big, big goals. My summer vacation's coming up soon. Uh, the end of the uh, school year is almost over. And so I want to try to put out at least one of these live streams or a teaching once a week. Um, and some of those mini videos, um, Facebook posts, and even just trying to get some articles up on the website, I'm working on all that. So hopefully that will, um, be something that I'd be able to do a little bit more consistently. Uh, one, uh, in very, very helpful way that folks can support revealed apologetics is uh, through signing up for those classes. So if you're interested in learning presuppositional apologetics, um, in a more, um, disciplined and structured way. Um, you can support Revealed Apologetics by signing up for that on revealedapologetics.com. It's called Presup U. Um, and if you can't do that, write a good review on YouTube or something like uh, uh, iTunes, YouTube. I don't know where that came from. Um, I would uh, greatly appreciate your support. And so uh, that's all for this episode. Braxton, once again, thank you so much. Uh, you survived. You look super tired. I'm so sorry. Well, hey, real, real quick, Eli, I want to say to anyone that watches this, I so admire you, Eli, and we have conversations usually about every week, and uh, I know people have heard us talk about this, but seriously, stay with me just a second, because I just want to tell you, Eli has been so gracious with me. We've disagreed on one occasion. We uh, we, agree, we disagreed um, very straightforwardly, and I had I even publicly apologized to Eli, but that the reason I tell you that is because with him, he's one of a few people that I really have a brother and brother type relationship with, where... When I'm talking to him, I know that he loves me. I love him. We both respect each other. And man, I just, you're at the right channel. Folks that are here, you should be on this channel. And if you're my follower and somehow you got here, subscribe to Eli's channel, please. Well, I appreciate that. And I would encourage folks to do the same as well. And I feel the same way about you, man. I appreciate that. Um, and the great thing about it was when, when Braxton gets upset, 
you know, he says sorry by giving really good super chats. <laughs> I remember we got into an argument and then when I was going live, it was like, it was like $20. I was like, whoa. I don't want to disagree with you. It cost me $20 when I upset Eli. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Braxton, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed this discussion. Uh, stay tuned for... Uh, uh, I will let, I will let folks know when the next live stream is going and, um, looking forward to doing that and being back on. That's it for this episode, guys. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye.